0: Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Glad to be back with you guys. Tyler and Marcus and the whole team did an amazing job last week, thankful for them. But man, it's good to be back with you guys and this family. Before we launch back into the book of John, I wanna say this, that we as a church are gonna start what we are gonna call the One Initiative. And what this is going to be is it's going to be our intentional approach of reaching the next one. And so here's how it's gonna work. Lots of times we talk here like we need to be sharing the gospel, which we do. We need to be reaching our community, which we desire to do. But here's how it's gonna work. Sometimes people are like, man, well, like, how do I do it? How do I share the gospel? How do I invite someone, whatever? And here's what the one initiative is going to entail. I want every one of you in this room to think of who is one person that needs Jesus, that needs freedom, that needs hope, that needs peace. Who is that one person? And here's what it's going to look like. It may not be preaching the gospel to them. It may be just loving them well. It may be bringing an invite. Every one of you guys has an invite on your chair. Maybe it's bring one invite and give it to one person or maybe it's just strike up a conversation with someone or have someone over to dinner with, with no agenda other than getting to know them, getting to know them for who they are to love them well And here's how it's going to work for the next year. Once every three months we are going to take one weekend so the next one will be in April and the date will be coming later where we're going to take a book a break from the book of John and we are just going to dive head first an entire message into the beauty of the gospel. And so that one person that maybe you're looking to share the gospel with, maybe that one person that you don't know how to share the gospel with, that weekend you can bring them and know without a shadow of a doubt that the entire sermon is one thing. Jesus came to resurrect. He resurrected from the grave to atone for sin, to set his people free, to give his people hope. And so as we're moving towards that, just think of one person, one person that you want to choose to love well. Maybe you want to invite them to dinner. Maybe you just want to invite them to church next week. But in case you haven't figured out, this is the one initiative that everything is based upon one, and his name is Jesus, and he has come to set his people free. That's why we exist as a church And so our priority is seeing that people meet this great king, that they know who he is. And so who is the one person right now as you're thinking through this that is lost and without hope? That you're just going to begin to love and begin to work on and begin to build relationship with. And then if you don't know how to share the gospel, as you already know, I have vowed I will share the gospel every week because... All of Scripture points back to Jesus. But that one weekend in April is the next one. It is going to be 40 minutes of straight gospel. So that that one person that you are praying for God to save would clearly hear the gospel presented. So here it is. What is the one thing that drives everything in this church? It's Jesus. So start thinking about that one person that you're going to invest into, that you're going to pour into with no agenda other than to love them well so that they might fully understand the gospel. That's why we exist. That is why we are here, not just for ourselves, but that this valley would find rest and hope and purpose and peace in Jesus, the King of So if you guys have your Bibles, if you want to open to John chapter 7, we're excited to jump back into that as we've taken a couple weeks off. Um, But before we do that, I'm going to pray, because this has been a difficult text for me this week, and so I'm going to pray that God does what he wants to do this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are worthy, that you are faithful, that you are good. And God, this morning, as we jump back into the gospel of John, I pray that your word would move forth with power, God. Holy Spirit, fall upon this place and filter my words. Clarify my mind. God, would nothing escape my lips that is not of you. And would everything that comes forth be be spoken through your spirit, God, that your people might rise up, that the church might be matured. And for anyone in this place, that has never been set free, God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to draw them to yourself right now, that for the first time they may see you for who you are, that they would walk out of here saying, I entered blind, but now I see. I entered deaf, but now I hear of the greatest news the world has ever seen. So God, move in this time right now for your purpose and not mine, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high. Jesus, this is about you do your work in this place and it's in your name Jesus that we pray amen so if you have your Bibles John chapter 7 starting in verse 1 says this after this Jesus went about Galilee what after what well a few weeks ago if we remember that Jesus had been had been basically telling the Jews and everyone around who he was and many of them took offense to it and they said I don't want to believe in that Jesus If that's what you are, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. And so many of them walked away. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, Do you take offense to this too? Do you want to walk away as well? Because I'm not who you think I should be? And so that's what we're picking up is after this. After what? After Jesus had addressed these people who had walked away, he went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I would not want to go to Judea either if people were seeking to kill me if I entered that place. Right? That's idiocy. Why would Jesus want to go to Judea? Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. What was the Feast of Booths? Well, we know that the Feast of Booths is the same as the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the time when the Jews would remember being removed from slavery in Egypt and being brought to the promised land in Canaan. But on that process, they lived in booths or huts with grass and mud and sticks. And so this was a time that they set apart, based upon Leviticus 23, where they would remember God bringing them and redeeming them from their bondage. So they would once again live in these booths. They'd build booths with mud and grass and these huts and pull themselves away from the comfort of which they were living to remember one thing, that God had redeemed them. So this is what's going on, and it's a joyous time. It was a celebration. It was was mass chaos, too, because tens of thousands of people would flood to Jerusalem to celebrate this day, that they would remember their redemption. They would remember their salvation. They would remember being brought from slavery into freedom. And then it says this, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see that the works you are doing. And then, and then it says this, verse 4, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Here's what Jesus' brothers were saying. Hey, Jesus, I have something to offer you. There are tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem. Why don't you go there? You'll have the biggest crowd you've ever seen. You'll be able to do these miracles in front of more people than you have ever done them before. Jesus, go here. Your popularity will spike, his brothers are saying. Jesus, go to Jerusalem because if you ever want to be put on the world map, go there now because there are tens of thousands of people waiting to see you do miracles and stand in awe. And in fact, not only that, Jesus, lots of the spiritual leaders will be there. They'll be in the temple. They'll be all over the city. And you can go and show yourself to be much greater than they are, that you are supreme, that you are all powerful. His brothers were tempting Jesus with this to say, just go do it, Jesus. This is the time your ministry is going to launch. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. We know that his brothers did not believe in Jesus until post-resurrection. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that his own brothers didn't even believe Jesus to be the Messiah until he had risen from the grave. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Before we go on, I want to say this because it's important. In the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, there's three words that are used for time. This word that is used for time in verse 6 and 8 right here is kairos, and it's only used in these two verses. And the word literally means a point in time or the right time. So what Jesus is saying is it is not the right time yet to go to Jerusalem. He's not speaking about the hour that he would go to the cross. He's not speaking about the hour that he would go to Jerusalem to die. He's saying it is not my time yet. It is not the point in time right now for me to go to Jerusalem because we're going to see that he is going to go there in a little bit, but it's not his time the other word for time, one of the others, is chronos, and that's an extent of time. We see that in John 5, verse 6, when it says this, when Jesus saw him lying there, he already knew he had been there a long time. And then the other word for time used in the Gospels is aura, or hour, and this always refers to the hour which Jesus came, the reason he came, that he would go to the cross to atone for the sins of mankind. So just so we know, Jesus is not saying that his hour to be crucified has not yet come. He's saying, my time to go to Jerusalem right now has not yet come. And you'll see why that's important in a second. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you because it hates me, because I testify about it and that, it, that its works are evil. Jesus is saying, your time is always here. You can go to Jerusalem whenever you want because the world doesn't hate me because you're not even in me. You don't even believe in me. My time, the world hates me because I testify that their works are evil. I testify that this is the reason that I came was to atone for the sins of the world. I am not. And then he says this, verse 8. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. So he's saying my time to go to Jerusalem, my time to go to the feast is not here. You think it's my time. But it's not my time. So here's where we're going to go as we continue this text. If you are like me, you have often wondered why God works in the way he does, in the timing that he does, and it often makes no sense. Like, God, I have been so faithful to serve you. God, I have been so faithful to do these things. And you're not showing up in my time. God, I think you should be moving in this way right now because this is how I see the world. God, what a better time than to fill this room or reach this valley than right now. Why, God, I don't understand. So whatever your concept of time is, if you're like me, you've often struggled with, God, why is your time not aligned with my time? Because, God, I want to see you do this now. And as we get into this, we're going to see why Jesus' time, why God's time is not on our time. Jesus is saying, you think it's my time to go to Jerusalem right now. It's not my time. You go, and I'll work all things for good in my time. Verse 9, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after this, or after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up and this is going to be important, not publicly, but in private. So we've already seen here that his brother said no one works in secret if he, see, if he seeks to be known openly. Jesus, really, if you look at the Gospels, he was never really concerned about The public side of things. In fact, many times when he did a miracle, he would pull the person away to do the miracle. He would do it in secret. He would not want to be seen in the public eye, or he would do a miracle and then he would leave the place where he completed the miracle so that people wouldn't just wonder on the miracle and miss the Messiah. His brothers are saying, Jesus, if you seek to be known openly, why are you doing it in secret? And Jesus' mentality is, I'm doing it in secret because my, my intention is not to be known openly, it's to do the will of my Father, it's to be faithful. That's why it wasn't his time, because he was on God's time and not man's time. So Jesus now enters Jerusalem, not publicly, but in privately, and verse 11 says this, the Jews were looking for him at the feast saying, where is he? He should have been here by now, sound familiar? I know I do it all the time. God, where are you? God, what the heck? I thought this was the time. Where are you, God? You haven't showed up in my marriage. God, where are you? I'm sitting here struggling and I can't even pay my bills and you're nowhere to be found. Where are you? The time is now, God. If you don't show up now, I'm done. I'm over. I'm, I'm finished. Where are you, God? And here's the crowd saying, the feast is already halfway through and they're saying, where is he? Where is this king? Where is this miracle worker? Where is this God who has come? We've heard all about him, but where is he? Verse 12, and there was much murmuring about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. And others said, no, he is leading people astray. And don't miss this. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So there's a bunch of people in Jerusalem waiting on Jesus, thinking he should have arrived. There's a bunch of murmuring with people that are saying, some, it sounds familiar to today, man, he's a good man. Have you heard of this Jesus? And then some saying, no, are you kidding me? All he does is lead people astray. Who do you believe in, this dead God of the Bible? Man, all he is is a good moral teacher. And in fact, that, I mean... His body was stolen from the grave. He never rose from the grave. He he literally, the, the whole reason for the Bible is to lead people astray. The Bible doesn't know truth. I know truth. But here's the thing. Neither one of them were speaking openly. Why? Because they had a fear of the Jews. Did you know that a fear of man will always shut a mouth, but a fear of Almighty God will open it with boldness? See, the problem was they had heard of this Jesus, but they didn't truly know him. They didn't really grasp who he was, so neither one of them, the ones that said he's a good man, would not even speak publicly because they were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to them. And the ones that said he's a bad man and he he leads people astray, they wouldn't open their mouth either. Why? Because of a fear of man. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. This is interesting. This feast would last about seven days. His brothers told him the time, Jesus, that you need to go to the feast is on day one. Jesus says, no, it's not my time yet. When does he show up in the middle? When people least expected Jesus to show up, he steps on the scene. Sound familiar? Sound familiar in the time frame of life? We look for God. We ask God to move. We're like, God, where are you? You're silent. God, I think, you, I think you're ignoring me. In fact, I don't even think you hear me anymore. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up when you least expect him on his time and not yours. And we're going to see why. Because he is in control. Here's Jesus showing up in the middle of the feast. And what happens? Verse 15. The Jews, therefore, marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not in vain, but his who sent me. Why? Why did he have authority? Why did he have power? Because he knew his father. He wasn't concerned about building a platform. He was concerned about spending time with his father, working on his father's time, because when it's God's time, watch as everything begins to move. So here's Jesus in the middle of the feast, and they're astonished at him. How can a man like this? He's never been to seminary, never been to Bible school. In fact, he didn't even graduate high school, and he's speaking with this kind of authority. I mean, we we look at the rabbis, we look at the religious leaders of the time, and Like, they know all this stuff, but there's no authority in their words. This Jesus, this Jesus who didn't even graduate high school, is speaking with such power and authority that it caused them to marvel. Why? Well, first, it's because he's God, right? But second, I believe, because he is God, but he was also committed to being faithful to the glory of his Father, to accomplishing the reason that he came to accomplish. Jesus is speaking with authority. Verse 17, if anyone, Jesus says this, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Don't miss this. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. He's saying, any man that stands and speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Did you know that one of my deepest desires for veneration church, whether it's me or someone else from the pulpit or whether it's anyone serving, whatever, that that we would not be a bunch of people that just speak on our own authority, that, that are seeking our own glory. But that we would be a bunch of people that surrender ourselves, that lay down ourselves and say, I'm not seeking my own authority. I'm seeking the authority of the God of heaven. And therefore, it is his glory. Therefore, it is his power when he moves. If we could see that, if we could grasp that, it would change everything. And hang with me as we're going to wrap this up and then we're going to apply it, I promise. Verse 19 says this. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered him, You have a demon, Jesus. Literally, you are a lunatic. You are a crazy man. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. This can be an extraordinary, this word marvel can be like an extraordinary like and I wish I could explain the depth of this word. Like its marvel is in Jesus. What you have done, we are in absolute disgust of," is basically what the word says. We're disgusted with what you have done. What has He done? Well, we know back in chapter five, he went to a pool and healed a crippled man on the Sabbath and made his whole body well. And because of that, verse 5, or in chapter 5, it says the Jews sought to kill him. So Jesus is referring back to that moment and saying, what do you mean you're not trying to? I healed a cripple man on the Sabbath and you're trying to kill me while you sit here and tell me that you're keeping the law. And what does he say about keeping the law? Well, he goes on and he affirms it when he says this, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but... From the fathers, we know that circumcision started with Abraham, so it preceded the law. It was a covenant between God and Israel. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So already, they are working on the Sabbath. They are breaking the law. And then Jesus goes on to say this. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? Jesus is alluding to he is the new covenant. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a covenant between God and Israel, his promise. And Jesus is saying, you're coming to me because I healed on the Sabbath? He said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I have come to set my people free. He says, I am the new covenant. I am the one that has come to set my people free. And then he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And i got to get going, so we're going to finish these last couple of verses and apply it. Verse 25. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they have nothing to say of him. All of a sudden, Jesus is now speaking openly. He went from the private. He went from his time with the Father. God gave him the time. He was on his Father's time. Now he's speaking in front of the temple openly. And Jesus, and, and, and then it says this. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he's comes from. What does this say? There was a group of Jews in this time that believed that the Messiah was going to come in flesh and blood, but he would not be revealed until he came to redeem and set free the nation of Israel from their bondage. They believed that Elijah was going to come back, and until Elijah anointed this king, this Messiah, this king would not have arrived. So they don't recognize Jesus because they said, we know where he comes. We know where he was born. We know his parents. We know the manger he was in. There's no way this can be the Messiah. And if we know anything about the Jews, we know that they believed in the one true God, and they looked at all of the nations, and they said, oh, you worshipers of pagan gods. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says this, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and then don't miss this, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, and he sent me. To the Jews, this is a slap in the face. Jesus is basically saying, you know me, but you don't know God because you don't know. I am the one that was prophesied of. I am the one who was to come and atone for the sins of man. And then the last two verses. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will will he do much more signs than this man has done. So if we look at this text, you're like, man, Luke, that was a lot, which I agree. As I looked at this text, I was thinking, good grief, 31 verses, how are we going to tackle this? And then I looked at it, and I was like, here, we're talking about circumcision and God's time, and where is the application, right? And I'm sure you're wondering the same thing. Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to try to apply it. And I think the first thing we see here is this, that God is far more interested in the private than the public. What do I mean by that? Jesus was not interested in public recognition and fame, but with obedience to what his father had sent him to do. And we see that in verse 4 when his brothers said, For no one seeks, or no one who works in secret, if he seeks to be known openly. And then they go say, Jesus, it's time for you to come to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, It's not my time. I don't operate on your time. See, it's not that God is uninterested in the public, it's that he is interested in the private before the public. What do I mean? That God is far more interested in who you are than what you do. And on top of that, he's far more interested in the you that no one sees than he is in the you that everyone sees. See, Jesus was not concerned with a platform. He wasn't. He was God. But he wasn't concerned with a platform. Was he maybe tempted when his brothers came and said, Jesus, if you would just go to Jerusalem now, you'd have the biggest crowd you've ever preached in front of. Jesus, you'd be able to put the religious leaders to shame. Jesus, all the people would look at you and wonder about the miracles you're doing and elevate you. Jesus could have been tempted by that because we know that Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all the same ways that we were, yet he was without sin. See, Jesus knew that public recognition and fame, like, he didn't care about it. He was God. He knew that was coming. But if he didn't have this relationship with his father, there's a reason that Jesus often pulled himself away to pray. Because he wanted to be in the presence of his father. He wanted to be in the presence of the God that sent him because he knew What was before him and he knew that he couldn't do it alone he he sought after his father in the private and let god take care of the public see the god the people that god uses the most in eternal ways and i i don't want to say the people that god uses the most because often in this culture we look at numbers and think that god used them the greatest god used them the most that is not always the case The people that God uses the most eternal ways, the people that are the most alive, the most free, are those who are concerned, not concerned with being seen, but those who are committed to being faithful. Jesus was committed to be obedient and faithful to what his father had sent him to do. That is why when his brother said, the time is now, Jesus, to go to Jerusalem, he said, "Uh uh-uh, you're of this world, I'm not. I don't operate on your timing." My agenda is this, to be obedient and faithful to what the Father has called me to do. And we see it in John 17 in his prayer that that Jesus' desire, his role is to glorify the Father, and the Father's role is to glorify the Son. They exchanged this glory, but Jesus was more concerned with being obedient and faithful than he was any sort of a platform. So, here's the deal. What is built in the private areas of our life? Integrity, character, endurance, trust, steadfastness. But the temptation is to bypass the private, to pursue the public. The temptation is to bypass the times that God wants us to be with Him, to sit with Him, to know Him, to pursue the recognition of the world, to pursue all the public fame. The same temptation that was before Jesus to go to Jerusalem and Jesus preach in in front of the greatest crowd you've ever seen. Same temptation. But Jesus trusted in the timing of his Father. See, it's in these moments, in the private, it's in these moments when we're alone with God that God begins to build character. That he begins to build integrity. Because you know what? The public doesn't matter if the private is not in place. It doesn't matter. You can preach to the most people the world has ever seen, and if you're not walking with God, and if you're not desiring to be obedient and faithful, it's all in vain. God desires your heart. Not what you can do for him, but what he's doing in you. But despite the temptation, Jesus knew there was nothing greater than obedience to her father, his father. See, here's the deal true faithfulness has no agenda. Jesus didn't have an agenda here. He was confident in who he was. He was confident in the time that that God was going to send him, but he had no agenda. He desired to be faithful and obedient to his father. That's why when his brother said, man, Jesus, those who seek to be known openly, they don't do things in secret. I can just see Jesus saying, if only you knew. It's actually in the secret where the root takes place and then God takes care of the rest. He gives platform. He gives open doors. If you're like me, you often have a public agenda. Like, God, I have been so faithful. I'm trying to be obedient, and I'm so far behind. I've struggled with this numerous times. And this may sound silly to some of you when I say, I'm 34, God, and I feel so far behind. Because look at what so-and-so is doing, and look at the ministry that so-and-so has, and look at all of this stuff. And it's a real temptation. It's a real temptation to bypass this private, this intimate time with God to pursue all that the world has to offer. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus waiting, waited for the timing of his father. Jesus waited for the timing that, that it would mobilize him. Or you can look at what he's doing and, and be like, man, God, like, God, why haven't you begin to just do something in this place? And then you reflect and you're like, good grief, like God is doing incredible things in this place. Or you may own a business and you say, he's a crook and his business is exploding. I'm honest and mine is suffering. I raise my kids in the Lord and they aren't walking with him, but man, Joe's family, they did nothing and their kids are perfect. And we began to just see the world through a lens of this public lens, this lens of fame, this lens of recognition, this lens of like everything that God honestly does not care that much about if you are not walking with him, if you are not obedient, and if you are not being faithful. To be honest, when I started into the ministry, I thought, man, preaching would be amazing. You can preach in front of a lot of people, There's public recognition, people know you, seek to be known openly, just like Jesus' brothers told Jesus that he should seek to be known openly. And all these lies. And it builds up this hype, and it builds up all this stuff inside of you, and all of a sudden, what you are pursuing has nothing to do with obedience and faithfulness. It has everything to do with outcome. And when it has to do with outcome, we've missed it. Because Jesus wants your heart. If you will be faithful, if I will be faithful, he takes care of the rest. And then you get into it and you're like, man, after a while the luster wears off and you start to see the struggle. You start to see the pain. You start to see sometimes the loneliness of ministry. The pressure, the time requirements... Whatever it may be, the luster, because if you set out with this agenda of like, God, just do this miraculous thing, God, really all it centers around is your own glory, my own glory. And all of a sudden, when it rubs off, you're left saying this. God, this is not all it cracked up to be. And God says, you're right, because you've missed the point. I'm more concerned with what's going on in private, Luke, than I am in public. I'm more concerned with your character and your integrity. I'm more concerned with how you're pursuing me for how you're seeing me than I am anything about what you're doing for me. And then you start to realize this, that true life is found through private faithfulness of walking with Jesus. And you know what the world can have being known openly? Just give me Jesus. The temptation is, give me all the world has to offer. In my time, in my moment, the temptation is there. The temptation was there for Jesus. But as we walk with him, we begin to see that our time is not always his time. See, if you'll focus on faithfulness and obedience, God has a way of taking care of the rest. You want to see God do incredible things in your life? You want to see some of the dreams that you're dreaming of come to fruition? You want to live a life that is full, that has peace, that has hope? Be faithful in the private. Don't pursue this open public fame. Be faithful to what God has called you to do today. Who are you when no one is looking? And what are you pursuing Are you pursuing to be known openly or are you pursuing to serve God faithfully? They're completely different. Jesus set out to be obedient to what his father had called him to do. So he was far less concerned with the public. He was concerned with the private and let God take care of the rest. Some of the most faithful people on the planet you'll never know about. So what does your private life look like right now? Are you being faithful? Who are you when no one else is looking? Are you seeking fame? Are you seeking recognition? Are you seeking all these things of the world? Because I promise you in the end they're empty if you're not walking with Jesus and I promise you they will destroy you. I've seen it in my own life. The times that I start pursuing all this stuff in my walk with Jesus is neglected. Life begins to fall apart because God is far more concerned with what he's doing in you than what he's doing through you. The through will come if you enter into the in. See, it's our job to be faithful, and it's God's job to exalt. First Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you. The second thing we see is this, God's timing does not revolve around our timing. Jesus' brothers thought that the time for him to go to Jerusalem was then. Jesus said, that is not my timing. That's not the time that the Father has set for me. That is not the time for me to go to Jerusalem. My time is my time. See, we often think that our faithfulness dictates God's timing or that we know the best about how and when God should move. His brothers thought the same thing. I've struggled with it, right? Man, God, I've been faithful to you. God, I've honored you in my business. God, I've honored you in my home. God, I've honored you in my marriage. God, I've been faithful and you are not showing up on time. God, I've asked you to show up and you have not shown up. God, I've asked you to enter into this situation and you have not entered into this situation. And I wanna remind you this morning that your time is not God's time. And when it's our time, usually this is why, is because usually our timing revolves around our glory. It does. When I look at my life and I look at the ways that God has not answered prayers and the time that I wanted him to answer, the first thing is, hey God, Why didn't you answer this? And if I check my heart, it's really selfish because I wanted some sort of recognition often or some sort of fame. Our timing usually revolves around our glory. That's why Jesus said here, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. See, Jesus' obedience to his Father caused him to wait on his timing. Why? Here's the big answer. For his glory. For his glory. For his renown. For his name. For who he is. And the result was this. The people were stunned at the authority and power that were in his words. In fact, it says they marveled. See, the amazing thing about God's timing is this. He often shows up when we do not expect The same way he did here, he showed up halfway through the feast when no one expected him. No one expected Jesus to show up at this time because it wasn't their timing, it wasn't on their watch. But when Jesus shows up, things begin to move. He moves in ways that you cannot move. He does things that you can never do. He opens doors that you can never open. And when he does, why? He receives the glory. I'm gonna spend about one minute sharing this, a way that God blew Caroline and I's mind on his timing. We had moved back to Kalispell a few years ago. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I thought about taking over my dad's business, and we began to work in that. And then at that time, God really started to birth ministry in my heart again. There was a couple churches here that were talking to me about coming on staff, and I just didn't have peace about it. I didn't know why. It made no sense to turn it down. That was my heart's desire, but I didn't have peace about it. So we turned it down and I'm driving to preach at a youth retreat for Crossroads one weekend and I get this call from Fort Worth and I had no idea who the number was so I let it ring and left a voicemail and on the way home I listen and says, Hey Luke, this is uh, Dr. Paige Patterson, president of Southwestern Seminary. I heard about a church plant that you were a part of, Uh, just give me a call. So I give him a call. He says, man, I heard about it, it breaks my heart. I want you to come down, check out the school, see if God may be preparing you for what's next. So Caroline and I go down, we talk, we look at the school, we talk to admissions, and I say, well, there's one problem, it's expensive. We had just bought a lot up here. We were planning on building a house, literally like a month and a half before this trip. So he says, well, I want you to go talk to this person and we go into his office and we sit down. I say, so what's our options for finances? What's our options? for financial aid, and he looks at me and he says this. He just said, oh, you haven't heard? And I said, heard what? And he said, Dr. Patterson has given you the presidential grant your school is completely paid for for as long as you want to be here. I look over at Caroline, she starts sobbing. I'm just in shock, and the whole time we're thinking, Man, God, we thought that our time was being wasted. We didn't understand why you were not moving. We didn't understand why you weren't opening the doors that we thought you were supposed to open. And now we know. Because God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime if we will just be faithful in the private, if we will just seek him obediently, if we will trust him in faithfulness. Everyone's story is different. Everyone looks the same. But I promise you this, God is faithful and he rewards those who seek him. See, our time was not God's time, but God's time was way, far much greater than our time. His time does not revolve around our time. He did not give us the things that we were praying for before. Why? Because he had something different in mind. And in the moment, it made no sense. But looking back, you can see God is faithful. His time is perfect time. See, this is how it usually works. Our timing equals our glory. God's timing equals God's glory. See, that was something that only God could do, and he receives all the glory. I did nothing. I don't deserve any credit. I don't deserve any recognition. I don't deserve any fame. I don't deserve any anything. God did it all in his timing because his timing is perfect. So how do we learn to walk And walk in God's timing, being faithful and obedient to pursue him in private. Don't worry about the end game. Worry about being faithful. Worry about being obedient. See, one of the most difficult things about walking with God is waiting on his timing. And there may be someone in this room that has been waiting for God to show up for a very long time. And there may be some hurt in this room that I can't even comprehend. And you may be saying, well, that's great, Luke, for you, but my story is way different. You know what I say? It is different. But God is the same yesterday, today, forever. God is faithful. And if you will walk faithfully with him, If you will be more concerned about who you are becoming as a person, about pursuing him, pursuing this relationship with him, pursuing him for who he is, he will show up on his time, and he will do more in his time than you can do in a lifetime. That's how he works. He's always been that way. He will always be that way. Trust him with your life. Focus on being faithful to what he has called you to do. What has he called you to do this morning? Each person in this room has something I know that God has prompted in you at some point that's like, man, I need to do this. I need to be more faithful to my wife. I need to seek the Lord. I need to do these things. But I'm too concerned about building my business. I want my business to be huge. I want it to bring in more money. I want the church to grow. I want want my kids to do whatever. And God's saying, quit worrying about that. Pursue me. And on my time, I'll show up, and it'll blow your mind. That's how he works. So what is the purpose of God's timing? It is this, to make you more like Jesus, that he would receive the glory and not us. All of life is wrapped up in that, making us more like. Jesus. So the third thing is this. Do you know this great God? Do you know him? The Jews thought they knew Jesus. They knew where he came from. They knew what he had done. They knew who he was, who his parents were. They knew a lot about him. And you know what he told them? You may know me, but you don't know You don't know God. See, there's a great risk in American Christianity and Christianity all over the world to hear a lot about Jesus, to hear his stories, to hear of his miracles. But at the end of the day, you don't know him. And if you don't know him, you will be separated from him forever. The reason he came was to set you free. The reason he came was to give you hope. And so if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, and you're like, man, Luke, all this talk about private and public and all this talk about God's timing, like, whatever, like, I don't, it means nothing to me. The one thing that matters this morning that you leave with is this. God wants you to know him. He sent his son to die for you so that you could be set free. You didn't earn it. He came to pay a debt that you could not owe because you owed a debt that you could not pay. Jesus, he came to earth perfect and sinless. He hung on a cross. He was killed on your behalf. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave to give you life, to give you freedom, to give you hope, to give you purpose, and to reveal to you one thing. He deeply wants your heart. Deeply. He's come to give you life, not burden. He's come to give you hope and peace. Peace. If you're in this place, please do not leave without knowing this one thing. All of life hinges on this one question. Do you know this great God? Do you know him? Because if you don't, it breaks my heart to say that you will spend eternity apart from him in a place that God has called hell but he does not desire any to go there. He desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, and he's given you that offer this morning. That's really the only thing that matters in this room. Everything else is null and void if you don't know Jesus. So if you don't know him, bow your knee to him and say, Jesus, I believe in who you are. I am turning from my sin, and I am turning to you. Set me free and fix me. Give me life. Give me hope. Give me peace. Give me purpose, because only you can do it. So here's the question. Do you know this great God? Because here's the deal. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to pursue him. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive and active, God. I thank you that you are moving, God, in ways that I cannot move, God, that you are doing things that I cannot do. And in this place, and in this time, God, I just pray that For those that know you, God, that we would see that you want us to pursue you, that that you're more concerned about who we are than what we do. God, if we will trust you, you will take care of the rest. And just to remind someone in this room that your timing is perfect timing. God, I think about Caroline and I struggled to have a kid for the last two or three years, God, and you just not showing up and you not answering but in your perfect timing, you give the greatest gifts. So God, I just pray for someone in this room that is struggling, God that is saying, God, I've been begging, I've been faithful, God, you have not shown up, God, the time is late, I can't make it anymore, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it another day, God, I don't know how I'm going to do anything. Would you remind them and show them that you deeply care for them, that you deeply pursue their heart, God, and that your timing is perfect timing, and you can do more in a moment than they can do in a lifetime? Would they lean into you, God? Would they trust you? And would each one of us in this room be more concerned with being obedient and faithful than any kind of a platform? And God, for the person in this room that maybe does not know you, draw them to yourself, Holy Spirit. Move in a way that only you can move. Do things that only you can do for your glory and your glory alone. Give peace, give life, give hope, and show them who you are, O great King that you indeed are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And We pray this in Jesus' name.